So one of the takeaways I would love for all of you know the bombshells out there is when we're talking about big concepts like conflict or leadership or proactive thinking, those are just concepts and they're very aspirational. But being able to put kind of behaviors and, and answer the question, it's not just what we do, but this is how we do it here that is representative of who we are, what the brand stands for, how we manage risk, how we view conflict, and even how we want to start approaching these conversations when we disappoint each other. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident. Feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Welcome or welcome back to the Bombshell Business Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Hurdle, and we're going to talk about Interestingly, maybe is not the right word, but it's one of my favorite topics because there is constant conflict in the world and there's certainly conflict, whether it's positive or negative, in the workplace. And a lot of us really struggle with that. We struggle with confrontation. We struggle with feeling a different way than somebody else and not really knowing how to process that in real time. And so I'm very excited to have this conversation with our guest today um, because she's the expert. So we can unpack it and hopefully provide you with some tools to help empower you as you deal with conflict yourself in the workplace. So let me tell you about our guest. Carol Bowser JD is a workplace conflict expert. After practicing employment law for several years, Carol founded Conflict Management Strategies when she realized a lawsuit can't deliver the level of resolution and satisfaction that is gained when people are actively involved in creating solutions to their workplace conflict. Carol's clients come with a wide range of employers because conflict is universal across all industries and types of organizations. Where there are people, there is conflict. The key is to help people recognize and address conflict before it damages working relationships and creates organizational drag. In her over 20 years of experience, she has discovered some universal themes about workplace conflict and loves to share how people at all levels can strengthen their conflict resolution muscles. We need some of that. Carol, welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast. So pleased to be here. I am. I don't even know where to begin. I'm just super excited. For the pre-show, I was telling you that to me, Creative conflict is an empowering thing. Conflict helps give us the contrast of, well, I don't really know what I, I want, but I know what I don't want when I hear it. And so that's how I approach it. So I, I don't shy away, but I'm also a super aggressive personality. So I know, you know, that kind of makes things different too. So let me just ask this question before we even really d dive into the details. At what point as an employment law professional did you make that decision that I just read in your bio? Like, were you at what point did you just want to bang your head against the wall and you're like, we got to do it differently? Well, I think like most career development, it's kind of, I, it come, kind of comes over time. And then you have this kind of maybe an aha moment or maybe just kind of a nagging piece. And one of the things that I found is that when people would call seeking legal advice, that they would describe situations that sounded icky and maybe unfair, but unfair doesn't equal illegal. Yeah. And unfair isn't always something that that a lawyer can help with. 
but there were points of pain and it was, you know, whether it was on the employer side or on the employee side, it was impacting people's lives. It was impacting the organization. And it just seemed like there really wasn't a good resolution to it. However, I had taken mediation training and become a mediator before going to law school. So I just had this different lens that it wasn't this paradigm of, well, this is what the law does. This is what we can do. This is how we could strategize it based on my legal training. I kind of came at it from a more, okay, what's important to people? You know, how are they feeling impeded? Can they actually articulate what they want in a way that other people can hear it? Yeah. And then how can I help them get unstuck? And that's what I liked as hearing people's stories and and asking the question, well, what do you want help with? And it was just unsatisfying that it's like, you know, again, it's it sounds like it's a bummer of a situation, but it's really not something that the law could help you with. And also as a business owner, you know, or as, you know, someone, you know, as, as a lawyer, we're there to be, a, in most cases, lawyers are there to be able to build relationships with clients to be able to get paid for their services. So it also may be, that sounds like a bummer. You know, technically you may have a cause of action here, but you know, I'm not seeing a damage. It's gonna, that would be uh, sufficient for you to be able to pay me to to do this, or it's it's gonna be so cost prohibitive and so long and so disempowering of a process that I'm going to tell you straight that I, I'm not going to take the case because I don't think it's worth it for me and you need to make, decide whether you're going to think it's worth it for you. So your people are still sitting there in pain and discomfort and a lack of resolution and kind of looking for help. And I'll get on my little soapbox for a, for a minute here is we call it the justice system. But the system's definition of a itself is notice an opportunity to be heard. When we call it the justice system, people think it's their personal brand of justice. Yeah. Which systems aren't about the um, individualization of it. The systems are about the systems and processing people through. I think of it a lot like Disneyland sometimes, but without like the good characters. Um, um, It could be as expensive, but without the good merch. (laughs) <laughs> is that, you know, the systems, you know, try to design to get people to move through the system and moving through the system may or not be helpful to actually resolving what the disagreement is. So, I mean, ultimately, it's an independent decision maker who's going to make a decision for you based on the rules and the parameters and the boundaries of that particular system. Yeah, that's, that's kind of disempowering, I think. It is, and but it's also what's real. So getting back to that concept, right, of like, well, what is real? What are we really dealing with? What are the real parameters here? And then what are the real outcomes? And I, I ran a, actually a few, but I ran a campaign for a judge, a judgeship in particular. And she said frequently during her campaigning, I did not go to fair school. I went to law school. And there is a difference. And so... Especially nowadays, I do find that the the generation coming in and listen, I I made two of these Gen X or not, I mean Gen Zers, so I'm not bashing, but the perspectives are different and the expectations are different. And then when you put that in the parameters of law, you know there there is a lot of conflict there for for yeah. between the expectation and the reality. Would you? Do you see that? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's one of the things that a tool that I 
talk to people about because I believe in every conflict or tension or disappointment or frustration, it's that gap between what the expectation was and kind of what the reality is. And we don't fill that gap with sunshine, puppy dogs, you yeah. know, and, you know, caramel lattes. We fill them with blaming and shaming and uh, labeling and frustration and disappointment and a lot of anger and sadness. And I think that then the emotions come to the front and we're dealing with an emotional piece. I know that you've talked about kind of emotional stories and, you know, dealing with the emotion. But yeah, I want to, if people want to jot this down, this is my go-to question. It was when I was a mediator for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, Whoa. when I was doing that on a contract basis, I would ask the employee because it would be the employee who would be filing the complaint or the allegation for harassment, discrimination, or retaliation. And I would always ask like, no, help me understand what did you expect the employer to do in this circumstance? And so getting people to identify and articulate what their expectations are, that's the first point. That's kind of the starting point of, of a conversation. And no, it, wa it wasn't like, you know, no, I, I've heard what you said. I read what you said. And, you know, I don't think that that's accurate. It's just really being able to articulate the expectations. And again, the expectations may be unrealistic. They may not be how the business or the culture of the business or the law says that they're supposed to do things or should be doing things. But it, that, I think, is the starting point for the for the exploration and for people being heard um, and people being seen. And um, that's huge. Huge. <laughs> and if we could just even start there, oh my gosh, just see, see your people, see who they really are, allow them to be who they really are. Th that automatically reduces all of the fear, both as the employee who who is happy to be seen, but then also everybody else who knows, again, the truth, what we're working with. So what I've found, especially among women in business, is that when they're trying to de-escalate, then they actually make things worse. So can you talk us through that phenomenon? Like, why does that happen? And then what do you do when it does? Absolutely. So there's a couple of different things that go on there. Is one, it's really good intention. You know, it's a good intent. Then we use words like, hey, calm down or don't worry about it. It'll just be okay. It is what it is. Whereas my assistant, Patty, will say, you just need to get over it. And what happens is that if the intention is to de-escalate, what that actually does is completely escalate it because that is saying you shouldn't be concerned about this. Well, we don't live in their shoes. We don't see what they see or see what they experience. Or maybe we want to be caring. And so we want to be reassuring. But then it's placating. And if you're hiring people for their skill set and their mind and how they see problems, solve problems and connect, if they're in some way saying, I have a concern about this and you're saying, well, it's going to be okay. I've seen more leaders get into trouble that way because they, people feel minimized. They feel yeah. not seen, not heard. And also there are some people who just have a much more things will work out okay in the world. We don't need to over plan. We don't need to over analyze, but maybe you're over planning or over analyzing is them saying, I need for you to look critically and objectively about this and don't rely on your gut. And you know what? There are some people 
who may be perceived as negative, but maybe you hired them because it's their job to be a risk manager, to look at the analytics and bring it forward. You can make a completely different decision. However, if their job is to bring forward the risk stuff, again, lawyers, maybe the CFO, maybe your bookkeeper, maybe the IT person who's troubleshooting things, And maybe even if you're working with HR, part of all that professional training is to identify and minimize risk. And here's one thing that I would love for all of leaders to be able to do is we can talk about unmet expectations, but also let's start bringing into a language of recognizing that different people have different risk tolerances. Oh, geez. And if you're saying, don't worry, it's going to be okay. For those who start businesses, you are a risk taker and you are much more comfortable with ambiguity and the poop hitting the fan and just like, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. And I've heard some of your podcasts talking about how you kind of like structure and you like guidelines, but it's like, don't expect me to follow them all of the time. We can drive other people who like the structure, who say we set, we, you know, we set guidelines, we set expectations and we have systems and processes and you just blow through them, Carol or Amber. (laughs) And so again, kind of pairing that with the, you know, what are people's expectations and part of their expectations come from how they see risk. Do they see risk as a good thing? Risk is a bad thing. Are we asking them to do things that feel too risky for them so much that it's causing stress and mental anguish and a feeling of burnout. You know, those are all important things and all of those things drive conflict. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's why I, even in branding work, you would be so (laughs) surprised how many different opinions there are about who the organization is. And so to be able to even, they're all true, right? Because the organization is my experience of the organization at the end of the day. Like they can say Mm -hmm. whoever they are, but it's what we experience as consumers or as employees. So everyone's voice matters, but it's why I love bringing psychoanalytic tools in because then right away we understand, okay, you speak this language, you speak that language, you love risk, you don't like risk, you're proactive, you're reactive, you're more social, you like to talk your ideas through, you like to think your ideas through. If I walk in your office and you're deep in thought, I am interrupting a conversation. Like, I need to understand that about you. And I think that alone helps us maybe, I don't want to say that it stops conflict, it just makes the conflict easier to process because we all understand who the players are and what what we're dealing with as opposed to just thinking the whole world sees things the way I see them. And it's ridiculous that you don't see it that way. Yeah. And I, I'll go back to, I think all of our professional training really imprints on us. For example, I will tell you law school warps your mind. You want to, you want to have an annoying conversation, find a first year law student because it's just, we're learning so much and we're learning frameworks and we're learning about how to address things and putting language to things. And it's just different, but that's different than folks who are in the CFO role. You know, CFOs, people know are very different from bookkeepers. And that's like, you know, in the finance and stuff, that just like stuff blows my mind. However, we all have professional training and workplace experiences that really kind of inform us about, well, this is the way to do it. I've said often, you want to start up, you know, trouble, go into a group of mediators. 
you know, the peacemakers, the ones who help other people address issues and tell them about the way that you do mediation. And you, you, man, you have got a fight on your hands because it's deeply personal. It is. How people do that and and what forum they utilize these skills and who they utilize it for is very different. So one of the takeaways I would love for all of, you know, the bombshells out there is when we're talking about big concepts like conflict or leadership or proactive thinking, those are just concepts. They're And they're very aspirational. But being able to put kind of behaviors and, and answer the question, it's not just what we do, but this is how we do it here that is representative of who we are, what the brand stands for, how we manage risk, how we view conflict, and even how we want to start approaching approaching these conversations when we disappoint each other yeah because you know it's late in the in the labor market and even you know working with vendors working with your close trusted advisors you know working with people if you're in a relationship for any period of time you will have disappointed them at Mm -hmm. some point and they Mm -hmm. will have disappointed you and most people won't have the conversation they'll just kind of live within the disappointment so that's why I think conflict resolution skills and kind of building those muscles and developing language for recognizing about, you know, how you feel disappointed and what your expectations for and what you were looking for, but then also being able to listen for what their expectations might be. And that's like, you know, those are de-escalators of conflict yeah. rather than, you know, leading with the you know, leading with the blaming and the shaming and, you know, maybe even the people who are super directive, we got a problem, you know, yeah. labeling it as a problem. Like, well, that sounds like it's a problem for you, but I'm perfectly fine with how it's doing. But as a mediator, I was trained to people. It's like if a pro- if there's a problem for one, by definition, there is a problem or if at least we don't want to label our problem, we can label it a concern. Yeah. And we can address the problem versus minimizing. Oh, don't worry about it. No, that's not a problem. No, it's not an issue. So things things like that are important to you know keep on your radar screen because it's how it's not just how you lead it's how you live your life and how you empower or inadvertently disempower other people. Yeah, you know it's interesting because I've always said I don't need to be right because that's subjective. I don't need to be right. I just need to be heard. But if I'm not heard, we're going to have big problems. Like if I'm involved and you have expectations of me in this situation but you will not hear me, then why am I here? I don't need to be here. Because you bring I- up such a great point because I see this with leaders because part of my process, if we're going in and addressing conflict or tension or what I call kind of you know organizational drag, that I will talk to leaders and then I'll also talk to different people. And here's a side note because of who you are, how long you've been with the organization, and what position you hold in the organization, you will view things differently. You will define the problem differently. Therefore, you will define the potential solutions differently. And so we're talking to a variety of people. And one of the things that I talk to them about is, well, you know, tell me more about about how you want to give feedback. And people say, you know, I've given feedback. I've addressed this multiple different times but nothing gets done. And as a side note, I'm not sure that nothing gets done. However, there are likely many thought processes and conversations that not everyone is privy to. Yeah. But if they don't see how 
the feedback that they have given you has impacted your thinking and impacted your decision making, even if it is, I really value that. And by the way, I, I kind of even hate that phrase because if we you say we really value feedback, but we follow with the but we decided to go a different direction means like, well, then, you know, why am I doing this? If we say this is what I heard was the main concern, this is what I heard was the insight, this is what I weighed in making my decision. And at this right. point in time, one thing for a variety of different reasons some of which everyone is not privy to yeah, because man. it's not out there for public consumption. These were the decisions I made and I had to weigh a lot of different factors, including this. Because people will say, you know, they say there's an open door policy. They say they want feedback. We give feedback, yet we don't see our feedback being implemented. We don't see our proposal being operationalized. And then if they don't, after a while, then you're kind of, you know, ingraining learned helplessness because, well, why is it if I if I go to all the trouble of organizing my thoughts, taking time on your calendar, and I never see how my feedback or my thoughts go into the problem solving and go into the implementation, then it's like, well, then, okay, well, then that's fine. I can, I understand what my role is and my role is doing these tasks and that's all They're it's going pretty. <laughs> yeah. You know, I for years and years and years, I've I've always played the role of you know company voice, you know the not the mediator, but the just the liaison between the company, the senior leadership, and you know your director level, middle management, and then frontline employees. Huh. And it's really the closer you get to senior leadership because that that you start to get ultra frustrated because you have enough information to have an opinion and a decent decently informed opinion but mm -hmm. you don't have all the information to really understand what's going on you know in the belly of the beast and so as somebody who is privy to all the things because of my role and I couldn't say anything either and then you have this disappointment with the you know you know senior managers or director level and mm -hmm. you know beneath VP I would say that's just a really uncomfortable place to be because you have all of this responsibility. You're a working manager, but you don't really have the high level of authority to significantly enact change. And so you're you're playing this in between roles. So I always had to set people down and just say, you know, your your frustrations are valid. This is real. You know, really validating what what their concerns were to your point, calling it a concern because it wasn't necessarily a problem for the company. It is a concern for this particular department, but in light of all the other things that are happening, like this just has to be for right now because the priority, the the finances, the attention, whatever that is, has to be on these things because at the end of the day, we're here to make money and we have to drive revenue or we have to make shareholders happy or, you know, whatever that is. There's just so many factors. So if you're in that, if you're in that middle management position, or maybe you're the owner of a company or an entrepreneur, and like you just, you're not going to put the weight of all that nonsense. And that's truly what it is. You're being protected. I'm going around the world for this question. I apologize. I am a person who talks my ideas out. Let me, let me back up. The question that I have is what advice can you give to leaders, no matter where they are in the company, who have information that would make that person feel better, but you can't share it? That's the question. Ew. That's terrible. It is. 
It happens every um, day. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I've got, I, I'm going to give a similarly sort of roundabout answer because one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking was, you know, the, the difficulty that middle managers and one of the things that I think as people go up in the hierarchy of any organization, it could be a nonprofit, it could be, you know, government, it could be, it could be absolutely anything that they're kind of expected to be strategic thinkers and strategic thinkers are different from tacticians. And it's kind of that middle level management of they're trying to translate the strategic vision that go into, you know, kind of goals to tactics. And not everyone thinks strategically. And one of the things I hear a lot from from leaders is, well, I need for them to think out of the box, which makes me gag in the back of my throat because <laughs> you're assuming that everybody is living in the same box and that they even see the box or the limitations and strategic thinkers want people to start thinking more strategically yet they probably hired people who were really good tacticians or really yeah. good at getting something done and there's supposed to be like this magic thing that happens at some point in time that all of a sudden you're supposed to develop strategic thinking skills and it might be depending on the business that then you need to start maybe developing a book of business, which may have very, very little related to what the actual professional training was. Yeah, and that can cause difficulty that we're kind of looking at each other and saying, well, why can't you just? And if senior leaders are thinking, why can't they just? Then that is an indication that you're labeling and shaming and blaming and imposing your experience on them. And it might be that they view that it's your role to help them just be able to do this or to be able to help them lessen the pain. Then we've got the middle managers who are kind of stuck in that place where it's a little bit icky and maybe senior leaders. And we see this all the time. It might be in you know mergers and acquisitions where you really can't go through the process of saying, hey, by the way, I'm looking at selling the business and we're doing all of these changes to be able to make sure there are systems and processes in place. And little asterisk by there, if there's bad juju and conflict going on, I get called in to be able to say we need, because we, we need to be able to hand off a business, including the team and the key players to this new owner. And by the way, we don't want to deliver a hot mess or by the way, when new new owners, new people come in, realize that what we're, how we treat each other internally doesn't live up to the brand right. that we say externally or that our internal customer service pales in comparison to where we tout our external customer service. Carol, we could which go is, skipping into those fires together. Yeah. <laughs> and so going back to the original question of, you know, one phrase might be, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, some of which I'm not at liber liberty to be able to fully discuss. However, I know that X, Y, Z and 47, 32 and 36 and the yellow orange are important to you and your team and know that that I understand that. And I think you or your team might have made similar decisions if you had the same information that I did. So I think that's a nice way of saying like, hey, there's mm -hmm. stuff going on in the background that 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 I that I am privy to that I can't share with you. I see this a lot in human resource work where there's a complaint and people understand that we have to respect confidentiality, even though emotionally it is amazingly unsatisfying as a human being mm -hmm. to say intellectually I get that, but emotionally I'm still processing it. 
And so being able to say, there are things going on that I may not, that and conversations going on that you may not be privy to, it doesn't mean that they're not happening. And I'm hoping that I, that you have might be making similar decisions or that I think you know me well enough to know that these are the types of things that are influencing my decision. And how can I help you and your team or what is it your team is needing to be able to deal with what I kind of call the emotional turbulence of this? Yeah. You know, is there a way that your team needs to feel seen and heard? What obstacles or unintended consequences are happening as a result of this that, that we need to be able to deal with that's causing the emotional and organizational drag? Again, it's a conversation of not minimizing of like, well, it is what it is, which again is one of those escalated terms, which which is just saying, okay, we can control certain things, but it's like, okay, well, how can we deal with the impact? How can we process the impact? Are there things that we could be doing? What suggestions or does your team have? And I'll also say it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. And also there's a, a, a woman who I'm stealing the quote from and it's, it is not a problem to be fixed. It is a relationship to be managed. Right. And it is an ongoing relationship. So it's never really a one and done. Right. And, you know, if you're even just thinking about it in your your personal relationships, too, it's very similar. If we if we keep the problem out there, the challenge, the problem, the, the friction, whatever you want to call it, put it mm-hmm. out there. It's not your problem. It's not my problem. It's this problem out there. We're on a team together. We're on a team trying to figure out this problem and you have information and I have information and you know I can't share all the information. You probably can't share all the information either because they're protecting their team and the things that were said and confidence. So they, they can't throw their team under the yep. bus. So we're only bringing the things that we know are safe to bring to the table. And then we're trying to solve this challenge out here to reduce the mm-hmm. friction. But the minute you start pointing fingers, you're done. Yeah, that's it's just done. And so I love I love how you framed all of that but i also know that you have a framework to prepare (laughs) for difficult conversations so can you walk us through that sure thing so very simply i share with people i kind of i think once in terms of what are some unmet expectations and being able to talk about those and also i want to think about you know what are potentially their unmet expectations and I'm going to give a shout out to my dear friend and colleague, uh, Jeanette Niden, who does a lot of stuff on negotiation. And she said, you know, we don't want to treat our assumptions as facts and then act upon them. But we, <laughs> because I will tell you, a bad things happen when that uh-huh. happens. And she will tell you bad things happen. And so I'm thinking about, you know, what are potentially my expectations? What are potentially their expectations? And just being able to think about it. But here's like, just very simply in these conversations, I say, you know, can we can we just think about this? And it's very kind of goal oriented. But I don't want to I don't want people to take away and saying it's going to be overly goal oriented. But it talks uh, kind of about how people approach stuff. It's like, okay, as a result of this conversation, what do I want the person to know? Is there something I want them to know? And here's a asterisk that we tend to, in the U.S., we tend to inundate people with information, assuming that, well, any rational, decent-minded person, if we just give them this information, of course they would agree with me. It doesn't work in religion. It doesn't work in politics. It doesn't work in how we raise children. And it really doesn't work in the workplace either. But again, it kind of starts thinking about like how we think about things. 
you know, what type of information are we putting a lot of stock in? What type of information is more impactful in our decision making and going back to before and also in our risk analysis? Manager. So what do I want what do I want them to know? So it's okay, do I want them to know how this is impacting me? Do I want them to know that the team is struggling with mental health, that the team doesn't feel heard or seen, or that they feel as though this new process or policy is making them objectively seem less competent in their jobs? Okay, all of that stuff. What do I want what do I want the other person to know? What do I want them to do? as a result of this conversation? Like, how do we take this information into an action item? Do I want them to do something different? Do I want them to do more of the same? And so again, we're kind of thinking goals because otherwise we're just talking. We're just talking about stuff, we're just venting and we have more information, but we're not translating that into some type of operational benefit. So I want them to know what I want them to do. And here's the thing, how do I want them to feel as a result of this interaction with me? So if we think about it, we're thinking about action, we're thinking about knowledge, we're thinking about feeling. And doesn't that really, it's almost kind of like a mind, body, spirit connection of we're looking at all of those three different things. So as an organization, how are we operationalizing knowledge into behavior to meet goals and and objectives? And that even could be employee engagement and retention and recruiting. It could also be what are the tactical goals? How does this link with the strategic goals? And we're we're trans we're we're, we're cascading down knowledge or cascading up knowledge. So any people at any level, if we start framing things in that no do feel, and the feel should be consistent with creating a microcultural climate. Then sure. if we say we value people, we value collaboration, like okay, we're really. How is this conversation doing that? And as another side note, I have yet to find anybody when I ask, do you have a shared definition of what collaboration looks like in practice? Oh, I always got, you know, I don't think so. Well, then I guess we have differing expectations of what collaboration would look like then. And that causes conflict and tension. Well, and then there's different, again, based on personalities, based on your wounding, based on all kinds of stuff. We all come with a different perception of things. And, you know, technically, I mean, it just depends on what you look at. But from a behavioral profile perspective, not necessarily a personality or personal branding or whatever, but just strictly from this is how I like to do work. I'm hyper independent. I'm not particularly collaborative, but if you were to ask anybody in my life, maybe not my siblings, um, but <laughs> who are some of my best friends, I talk to them every single day. But you know, in that world, I'm hyper independent, and, and you know, but at, in a work environment, a learned behavior was it takes all of us, and it's exhausting to do it by yourself. And so, I, I think what I want to pipe in because you know we've we've both addressed certain things of like well some people are this way and some people are that way we are all wired you know just in in your mother's womb you're wired a certain way through the first couple of years of your life and then you have all of your life experiences and you have your childhood wounding then you have your adult wounding you have all this stuff <laughs> that you carry around in life if you haven't processed it and even if you've processed it you still have a l- little sprinkles here and there that does not recuse you from being curious about why you're responding the way that you are it's this this 
this podcast episode isn't about how to be right. It's about how to, what's the word I'm looking for? Empower everyone through the vehicle of conflict? Is that a, a fair way of saying it? If, there, well, if we know there's yeah. going to be conflict, then can we use it for a positive? I think so. I've got I've got so many thoughts. So one of them is I'll just say that I think conflict is a little bit of a loaded word because, it's, you know, there if you look at the statistics that, you know, there there is abuse and neglect and violence and, you know, generational trauma yeah. that goes on. And we carry that with us, like kind of like on like in our skin. And when we talk about conflict, and this is one of the things that I want to be I don't want to necessarily use the word gentle, but conscientious of, is that for some people, avoiding and minimizing literally was a life-saving skill and and continues to be a life-saving skill. And then all of a sudden, when we talk about collaboration and speaking up for yourself and carefrontation and whatever little ways of doing it, it's all, they're all paradigms of, can we talk to people and bring forward concerns so that way, if people are open and interested in making changes, we've at least given them the benefit of the doubt to be able to try. And um, all of the different things that we bring, you know, it it we to, to able to be conscientious of it. And I do think that when the when the tempo and deadlines come up, and we're managing so many different things, it becomes really difficult. And it can be inefficient and even how we define collaboration and how much we want to collaborate and how much maybe somebody else's need and desire to collaborate, maybe creating organizational drag for us. Yep. That we're just saying like, I need to be able to kind of give some limits in, in, and I talk about like, kind of like, what are the guidelines of the relationship? And it doesn't mean that um, everybody gets to say, well, this is how you get to interact with me, uh, but the situational and personal awareness of this is where I feel most comfortable. This is where I thrive. But wh- when and where and with who do I maybe need to flex up and flex down? Um, so that way we have an organizational and a team definition of this is what the collaboration zone looks like here. Yes. Um, which is, it goes back to kind of our earlier thing, of, you know, maybe an individualized idea of what justice is. Um, and everyone has an individualized idea of what a good supervisor is or what a teammate is or what a good collaborator is. However, um, leaders and uh, and everyone, I think if you can start having the conversation of, well, what does collaboration look like here? And let's get beyond the big aspirational, conceptual types of things and going to more behavior of like, when I respond to emails within 24 hours, that's collaboration. When I ha- keep free time on my calendar for people to pop in to be able to grab me, or if I'm reaching out, and maybe this is a generational thing too, there is an entire generation of people that have a foundational belief that if it is really important, you will pick up the phone and call. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> it is just that I have autonomy and I will get to that when I get to that. And if you don't pick up the phone and call, I'm going to assume that I have some freedom of when to get that. So it's even beliefs around the use of technology. Is it collaborative? Is it humane? Is it not humane? You know, whatever it is. So 
it's it's not just the what, but it's the mode of collaboration and having teams and leaders say, what does collaboration look like for us here? Because it's going to be very different at the senior level than it is down on the front line level because there's different types of decisions being made Amen. and different types of availability. Different availability and different levels of consequence. If, yeah. you know, if, if the wrong decisions made, um, there's, there's so much that you've said. I mean, I, I could just, we could have like 12 other podcast episodes because of the richness of what you shared. And, you know, I think one is really defining terms. I know when we do brand guides, like our, when we pick tone or personality, like we have to define those words because words have different connotations for different people. And when we do our our service basics, you know, so you have your mission, you have your vision, you have your mm-hmm. values. And then, you know, it's really important to have service basics as well, because then no matter what, come hell or high water, these are the things that we all have to do. But we don't just say like what it is. We then say, and this is what it looks like. Like, here's what the service basic is. And then here's the behavior that supports that. So it's crystal clear that this is what we mean for everything. So you know, when you're when you're talking about conflict, you're also talking about communication and you're you're talking about, to your point, structure and guidelines. And if you don't define all of those things on behalf of the company or the team members, especially who are coming in who don't know the ropes and then reminding people as you evolve as a company, you talked about M&A work. We do a lot of that. So you know, the company is quickly evolving when you're dealing with mergers and acquisitions, whether you just were acquired, you just bought something, you just got a cash infusion, whatever that looks like, Um, you know, being able to at any scale that your company is, I don't care if you have a salon where you rent three booths, what is being shared by Carol today cannot just be this idea in your head. It has to be supported throughout your employee experience, every touch point along the way. You have to be clear about how you do things when you're hiring people to make sure that they are agreeing to what they're coming into. You have to onboard people to ensure that they get, this is a high priority for us. We communicate, this is how we deal with conflict. This is what, you know, blah, 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 all those things that we've talked about. Engaging your team is constantly showing up in the way that you said you would when you recruited them. And when you're departing, if there's conflict, you still need people to be heard because guess what? They're going to leave the company. They're going to talk about how that was handled. And then that's your employer brand. So every aspect of what we're talking about today is incumbent upon you as a leader or as um, a business owner to weave it through from start to finish. Absolutely. And to build on those points, uh, how many people have been in conversations where you spent so much time talking about things? And then people leave the meeting and they're like, okay, we talked about it. But other people leave the meeting feeling a decision was made. Mm-hmm. And other people leave the meeting thinking, I don't know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll kind of throw my husband under the bus. He's like, yeah, yeah, we need to do this. So I'm like, we? Who's we? And my I- stuff of this is done. You mean you? And so, but how many people say, well, you know, um, HR will take care of this or the marketing team will take care of this, well, well. but we don't necessarily designate of like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to do these things. We're going to have, I'm just, I'm just, I was working with a client and we set up this whole piece to be able to kind of reestablish trust because they found that it, there were like differing definitions and different expectations. 
So they were going to have an, an interim meeting before I came back to be able to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to talk about this. We're going to share knowledge. We're going to, you know, kind of have a little bit of a, a system to do this. And then I get back, you know, come back and it turns out that, oops, I didn't specifically ask the question, okay, well, who is going to, who is going to own organizing this meeting? And nobody had the meeting. And it was like, that was kind of the main thing to be able to have, to slowly put a foot back in the water metaphorically to rebuild trust and then it's like well nobody really wanted to have this meeting because there was so much lack of trust but then even when we started putting it out it was this whole idea of well who was supposed to do it so if you think about that that causes a different type of organizational drag but if you're thinking and organizing your thoughts of that no do feel and when you're talking with people saying hey this is a framework that, you know, we want to be, you know, efficient with time and we want to be able to do these things. I'd like for you to present your idea maybe to the client or this, I want to know what your no deal framework was. And so that way, because different people may have different ideas of what information is important. And some people say, well, that's a great idea, but you're asking me to do something that's outside of my job description. It's a great idea, but not within the budget or the strategic plan or the timeline. So if you can think about those types of things and train people of like the no do feel, and you're saying we want it to be consistent with the brand, we want to have it be consistent with our internal culture, and this is how we do it here. And it's more powerful of saying, you know, I know that we value transparency, so I want you to know this. But I also know that we value confidentiality. So I'm trying to balance transparency and confidentiality. And that's why I want you to know that. And then as a result, this is my ask or this is what I'm doing to balance confidentiality and transparency. I hope that makes sense. So it's, just, it's a framework to think about and you can train people and then you can also set the expectation of when we're troubleshooting something or delivering something we can do it. And you figure with like branding and marketing, like what do you want your clients, your ideal client to know? What do you want them to do? How do you want them to feel in interacting with the website or your merchandise or your peripherals? And how do they, how do you want them to feel when they're interacting with, you know, with the vendors you've recommended? It's universal. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that you're you're giving language and frameworks because it's not, we're, we haven't talked about anything way up here. We, we maybe for a hot minute, but then you bring it down to like, and so here's how to move forward, <laughs> which I think is what so many people are lacking. And and with just, again, a huge shift in in generations running the workforce these days, mm-hmm. there's just, there's a disconnect because of how we were raised, what our life experiences were, and yeah. you know, that there's a huge divide once the, the digital nomads come along. And and so that's like not worse or better. It's just different. And then you have a bunch of people leading other people who just haven't been on the planet long enough to backfill the positions of of those boomers who are quite a bit older than millennials. And there's not enough Gen Xers in between. I've I've said this a hundred gajillion times on stage and on the podcast. But you know the Gen Xers, my generation, there's just not enough of us. So so you've got people with less life experience who are leading other human beings who to your previous point just have a lot of stuff 
we just have no clue where people came from or what their belief systems are or how us asking them to, to do certain things are incredibly triggering. And it's like, I need you to do this, but if you can rush three, three and a half years of therapy just, and then, you know what I mean? Like we can't ask that of people. So it's like getting really curious about who are we working with? How do I lead this person? How do I respect and honor this person? But I also have to hold them accountable to what we need them to do because it's really their job. Like they've, yeah. We've hired so, them to do it. Amber, you bring up so many points and I just had this conversation with a client that I'm going to be coming into and doing kind of, you know, training about, you know, conflict resolution and how do we have these conversations and I had this little turn of phrase and and I hope it's helpful for the listeners because I think that newer generations are really, they they can be great at demanding change. I'm not so sure they're, they've developed the skill set or the maturity to facilitate change. Yeah. Because particularly in the workforce, it, every system and process has been designed to support the status quo. And if we're talking about ripping something up, then how do how do we facilitate where people can still feel successful at work and even you know you know the 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 phrases like hey boomer or you just don't like change or you just don't get it or they're too slow you know people in the workforce at all levels want to be seen and they and there's some of us who can say you know what i have been through several economic downturns mm-hmm. i have been through so i have some lived experience and i have some knowledge to share and I also want to feel respected and I also want to feel heard and if you're just throwing back you don't like change you're just you know you're just this you're just that just a racist or you know you're just stubborn and whatever whatever it is it's just realizing that other people want to be heard and just being able to say you know based on my experience these were these were some considerations that have informed me in my professional life and then and then being able to have some some of those conversations because chances are you can come up with some solutions that might touch on to some minimum degree of what people need and what they're looking for in the workplace and what they're looking for in their client relationships. I love that. What a great ad. Absolutely. It goes both ways. And really, at the end of the day, isn't it about just respecting people's humanity in general? Can <laughs> we just do that at all times or at least make yeah. that the goal and then maybe yeah. we'll naturally smooth out a little bit if we all have that intention? Maybe. But I think also different people have different definitions of what respect is and how it's demonstrated because the exact same behavior with someone can be symbolically significant of showing respect and the exact same behavior for someone else can be symbolically significant of showing an absolute lack of respect. So it's, you know, what does respect look like to you here? How, How do you show respect in the workplace? You know, what can I, what can I expect from you? You know, how do we, de- and again, going back to the workplace, how do we demonstrate respect here? I love it. I feel like I could talk to you all day, but we're going to have to wrap it up. So I'm going to ask the same question I ask every guest, every episode. And that's just what parting piece of advice do you have for our bombshell listeners? Bombshell being redefined to mean a bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman in business. I would say you can be uncomfortable or slightly unsure of having the conversation. You can do it anyway. And um, I want to add a little asterisk to it again. You don't have to do it immediately because sometimes it takes a little while to go take a walk and kind of noodle over it and, you know, not ruminate over it. 
but take a little take a little while and so you can have the conversations and even if it doesn't go the way you hope it to just say you know can, can i still want to have the conversation with you you know can we can we try again yeah and i think that's important i do too i love that thank you for that well let's talk about how people can find you online because i have a feeling that there is ample ample opportunity for you to to help various organizations so i know that you have a conflict tip of the day yes and they can go to the website of managingconflict.com and up in the top corner there's you know a little link to sign up for a conflict tip of the day which is delivered to your inbox monday through friday a tip a trick a technique a video a conversation starter all designed to help people increase their conflict resolution muscles and a lot of people tell me they end up sharing it with their team because it's an easy entree to start having the conversations then if they want to follow me on linkedin a few years back someone named me one of the top 30 people to follow on linkedin for conflict resolution where again it's kind of curating articles and then also you know take a look i regularly speak at conferences and professional events again to help people increase their conflict resolution muscles and you know through the website too if you got a question if, you know looking for some help you can just email me through there i love it i absolutely love it so we will put all of those links in the show notes and give you all the different ways that you can follow carol or reach out to her if your organization is in need of some conflict resolution thank you again for sharing your greatness on the show you're probably one of my most well-prepared guests. And and I deeply <laughs> appreciate that because I'm hyper protective of our bombshell listeners. So thank All you. Right. Yeah, great. So be a bombshell of amazing conflict resolution skills. And, you know, keep, as I said, they're skill sets, which means you got to practice. But then also the more that you do it, the more it will become habit. And then you're going to be the role models that people go to to seek advice of how do I go about and handle that, which absolutely be great. Yeah. And, you know, Bombshell, as, as we wrap up, I, I just want to reiterate that point. As I was listening to Carol so, you know, beautifully communicating things that might otherwise feel or sound hard, I thought, what an opportunity for anyone listening to this to not only help with reducing conflict in the workplace, but to to serve as a model, to serve as an example so that other people can watch your behavior, not not just listen to the words coming out of your mouth, but watching the consistency in which you handle conflict over and over again, whether it's small or large, you know, that's, that is your way of mentoring. And that's what the bombshell community is all about. Like we don't have a Facebook group. We're not, you know, we don't do things like that because who has time, but what we can do is see and support each other for who we are and who we're becoming on a one-to-one basis. When you recognize another bombshell, tapping her on the shoulder, making sure you connect with her, being a bombshell, showing what that looks like. And part of being bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident is when we fall down, we get back up. That doesn't mean we're never not shaken. It doesn't mean that we're not ever insecure at times. It's just that we always get back on the courage wagon. And one big part of that is being able to process the harder times. So if this episode was meaningful to you, if you learned something from it, please share it with another bombshell. Share it with somebody that you know can use this, whether they're dealing with conflict right now or they're just in a position where that's probably going to be a reality for them. And then take the time to like us on on YouTube if that's where you watch or if you're whatever your listening app is, we would yeah. definitely cherish a rating and review because that helps, you know, just trick all the algorithms to make sure that more people are finding 
quality content yeah. like this and getting the help that they need. You know, we're no fluff around here. So just meet, please. Just meet. So um, thank you for your time today. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit AmberHurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.